Hello and welcome to the Field of Design podcast for your news, stories and nonsense from the sports apparel and sports creative industry. My name is Mason and with me is a second third of the hosting panel, Mr. Banoffi Tim Tam himself, Kit Lushev. The one and only, thank you, mate. Um, and I'll get in quickly. I know we weren't going to talk about it, but I'm not wearing a jersey. I refuse to play that stupid game anymore. And now that other numb skull's not here, uh, we'll just talk like adults, right? Absolutely. I'm glad you know, you're on board. Welcome to the club. You know, it's all about just fluffing up his little jersey collection, mate. I've said this before, get a vice, Nick, okay? We get it. You've got an awesome jersey collection. You win, mate. We're not playing your game anymore. He doesn't like entertainment at his sporting events. (laughs) No, no. Look, he's not as tight as me, that's for sure, so I'm not going to kick him down too much while he's not here. Yeah, we've sort of buried the lead that uh, Nick is not with us tonight. Um, What is he at? What is it, a laser tag tournament? Yes, he's off shooting pretend bullets to uh, in a room with other people. I don't know, some pre-tournament for a state national titles laser tag. I try to follow. I've played it once, right? I think in laser tag, uh, sorry, in time zone in Frio, they've got a little laser tag arena, got all the obstacles and this and that. And I went there on a first date with this girl and her her couple of her friends and i'm a i'm a terrible sport like really competitive right so i'm like freaking barrel rolling everywhere and doing flips and spins and getting right into it <clears throat> anyway i've backed back to to dodge a imaginary bullet and i've smacked my eye right on the on this sharp corner of an obstacle yeah like semi knock myself out like like i was actually dazed because it was so hot in there and I was like running around, I didn't feel it, but I've gone to touch my hand and my whole, whole face is just full of blood. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was my last laser tag experience. So we will leave that to Nick's very capable hands and I hope he's winning. One and only time. <laughs> Look, from all accounts, it's it's taken him around the world. I think obviously he has to pay for himself, but the experience that he's had, it sounds like it's a um, nice little hobby and takes it pretty seriously and he's got a he's got a chance kit apparently this year he's got a chance he could could win it he's got a good team well mate i'll uh, i'll be keeping my fingers and toes crossed what's their team name do you know i feel like it's laser sharks or something spartans Spartans. right i've seen they've got some quirky names i reckon you need to come back from the mic probably about half a yeah 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 clipping a little bit cool yeah all right i've only been doing this 20 weeks or whatever it is. I think 15 we're up to, episode 15. Officially. Officially. The Field of Design podcast is currently an audio-only format heavily discussing visual content. So with every episode, we include link in the podcast app's episode description, which highlights all the articles and images we discuss in today's show. You can also jump onto our Instagram at Field of Design Podcast for references to some of the featured content. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can via our Instagram at Field of Design Podcast or via our Gmail at Field of Design Podcast at gmail.com. First bit of news is from the CommonwealthGames.com.au. Commonwealth Games Australia and RN Williams have unveiled the opening and closing ceremony kits for the Australian Commonwealth Games team heading to the upcoming 2022 Commonwealth Games 
uh, taking place in Birmingham in England. You like the way I said unveiled then? I did, and I'm not the only one who liked that. Our dear friend Dane Roy picked up on that during the week, so uh, extra emphasis on that correct pronunciation, Mason. I like it. You like that, Dean? You like that? Unveiled. (laughs) A celebration of heritage design and Australian craftsmanship, the uniform offering includes... A capsule range of formal looks for both men and women, plus limited edition leather boots handcrafted in Adelaide. In a commitment to local production, most of the range has been manufactured in Australia. Over 690 uniforms will be crafted in total, outfitting the athletes and officials on the Australian Commonwealth Games team. Pretty classy. It does look nice. It tells a good tale. I'm a fan. Yeah. That that local that local part I think is pretty important, especially you know when it's a represent Australian representative team at, at a event like this. Absolutely. Next bit of news is from Titans.com.au. The Pacifica jersey, as part of the club's Inspire Round, celebrating the Titans community programs under the guise of the club's charitable arm, Titans Together. This special design pays respect to the past, present and future of the many peoples and cultures throughout the Pacific. Created in five sections, the jersey acknowledges the great ancestors, their epic voyages across vast oceans, present-day Pacifica people and their evolution, contribution and progression for future generations. It will also help raise funds for the NRL's Tonga Relief Fund, which is continuing to help the proud Rugby League nation recover from the devastating volcano eruption and tsunami that hit earlier this year. Git, you got much more to say? I do. Um, I've kind of hinted at this one certain stages during the year that we're going to see a, a Pacifica jersey uh, from one of yeah. my teams. Um, mm-hmm. Now... I love this story, not just because, I mean, firstly, the jersey looked awesome, Um, you know, awesome work. But if you'll think back, this jersey actually reared its head initially via, uh, did its rounds on the socials via some of the jersey pages and whatnot, and it was purely a concept. It was a, sorry, it was a fan-made concept. Um, Now, my understanding is that the, the club obviously got it sent to sent to them and awesome feedback and they loved it so much. Um, the guy who did it, I think, is friends with Tino. Uh, I think yeah, he, yeah. He, he's a he's a tattooist and he uh, it done a lot of Tino's work. So the club hooked up with him and you know before we knew it, it was on our desk and um, you know we would have put it on a jersey. So I don't know how many times that would have happened. Um, you know, organically getting through to the. The club, most clubs sort of wrong, very wrongly, but, you know, tend to think that they're above that sort of interaction. You know, if there is any fan involvement, it's very, uh, very much orchestrated by them. So for, mm-hmm. for such an organic experience to happen, um, I just love the story. Yeah, awesome. There's a few videos on some of the links, one of the links that we will include in the show notes where it does have the tattoo artist there explaining a little bit more of that story as well. So it's, uh, it's great to see when the community gets involved in that space, especially, My, you know, like tattoo artists, which is really where a lot of the Polynesian uh, art heralds from, you know, particularly in the modern age and is displayed, right, on the skins of uh, Pacifica people. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, so the guy who designed it was uh, Matthew James Davidson Liga. Um, 
I, you know, went back and forth with him a little bit. Seems like a great guy. So um, really impressed. And as I mentioned, love the story. So uh, whenever anything like this happens, hopefully it opens up the door for, for for more stuff. I mean, my only disappointment is that the club's been pretty crap the last couple of weeks. So all the social comments were, you know, such as, um, oh, it's not going to help them win games and this and that. So uh, we'd love to see that. Poor timing with that type of stuff, isn't it? Like I know we talk about, uh, we've talked about the Essendon Bombers and them needing to do a bit of a refresh of their logo and you're saying how it ties into the team culture and stuff like that. And sure, there's an element of that to it, uh, but it really needs to be all-compassing. So it's a shame that when there's something as uh, inspiring or as... um, attractive as a new jersey like this and it just comes at a poor time in performance this uh that reminds you of a elusive exclusive oh, just yeah. a small one okay des hasler yeah mate as long as he's living and breathing and walking on this earth manly will never wear another black jersey i've got that <laughs> confirmed from the horse's mouth no more black jerseys for manly ever so there it's you cursed go. There, yep, yeah, there you have it, straight from Des. From Hasler himself. Yeah. This is from smh.com.au. Payne Haas has flagged his intention to remove alcohol and gambling advertising from his jersey in future on religious grounds. Due to Haas' Islamic faith, the New South Wales prop is keen to follow in the footsteps of friend Sonny Bill Williams, who sought to distance himself from advertising that didn't align with, with his beliefs. Obviously, I want to help people. I've seen it happen to them with that kind of stuff, referring to alcohol and drugs, destroying people's lives and families. I won't shy away from that. I've seen it happen to some friends and family members. It's something I'm pretty passionate about. Towards the end of his league and union career, Williams requested that gambling, uh, gambling banking and alcohol sponsorships be removed from his jersey. Understanding his reasons for doing so, the sponsors complied. Australian cricketer Fawad Ahmed is another sports star who was granted a request to have beer sponsorship removed from his uniform on religious grounds. Yeah, it's certainly not without precedent. Um, obviously, the big one was Sonny Bill Williams, and I think he even went as far as refusing bank sponsorship. Mm. Uh, and we see it a lot in, in cricket, uh, not just Australia, but, you know, other countries. Um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously you have to tiptoe around religious sort of stuff. I understand what he's getting at. I didn't realise that Payne Haas, Payne Haas was, uh, didn't drink. Maybe that's a new, a new thing. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, there's precedence there, but I can't imagine if the floodgates start coming in, it's going to go down too well. So one or two here, maybe a bit, bit more interesting down the line, I think. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and I know, uh, Kit, that you've been following uh, Bocce Australia hardcore, so I just wanted to keep you up to date here from bocceaustralia.com.au. From 2022, Macron will supply all technical apparel for Bocce Australia, as well as state division and other official club merchandise, with a bespoke online portal available to all club members. In Australia, Macron also partners with several professional sides across the A-League, AFL and NRL. Is this April Fools? Is that are we leaving this in the podcast? No, this is big deal stuff, mate. Signed All up. Right. Okay. And that uh, and that closes our, our news. Not not too much else today. 
which um, means that we have a lot of time up our sleeve because we've had some long episodes <laughs> over the last few weeks. To can we blame it on Nick? Is it all Nick's fault? Let's see. Because <laughs> let's see how we go. We ripped through that. We did. Today is our first of many uh, steps into the second elements or portion of our podcast, which is interviewing industry experts. And what better way to kick off this next segment of the podcast is to chat to a man who has helped set this podcast up, who is leading the way in NRL professional apparel. It's Mr. Kit Lushev. <laughs> oh, I don't know how this is going to go. I get funny. I know I joke around and put on a bit of a front, but when it comes down to this stuff, it uh, makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but we'll see how we go, right? Absolutely. It might don't make worry, its mate. way off the cutting room floor and see the light of day. It may not. Let's see. We'll be fine. You're yeah. in safe hands. I'm good at asking questions. Great. I'm good at, not good at answering them. I'm good at dodging them, so let's see how we go. Um, we've been doing this for 15 episodes now. Officially. I think the listeners have got a relatively good idea of the face value of you. Is there anything else, you know, that we should know about who you are or that you would want us to know about who you are before we dive into the more professional side? Uh, from a personal point of view, from a professional point of view, what are we talking yeah, a bit of both. Why do you um, get up in the morning? I mean, mate, it's cliche as all shit, but um, these days I'm just a dad. Like, <laughs> I've changed so much in the last four or five years. Like, your value, as you know, being a father yourself, Mason, but your values change, your priorities change. Like, um, all that matters to me is my, my family. So I could uh, literally lose everything tomorrow and still have my little family, and, and that's all I need. So, um, yeah, I hardly recognise looking at myself pre-fatherhood and some of the things I used to get up to and do and prioritise. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not the most exciting answer, but, um, yeah, I'm a dad sport who loves sport, who lives and breathes this stuff that we're talking about and or, so, sort of always has done. Um, you wouldn't be putting... Me an hour and a half plus every week into coming and chatting with us if it wasn't something that you were passionate about. I mean, it's, yeah, it's good to catch up with you guys as well. But, um, you know, I remember getting together and having that mock episode that we did in person before you uh, packed up your stuff and moved to Byron Bay. And, um, you know, what we thought felt like a 40-minute chat, we looked at the time and it was something like three and a half hours later. So... Tell my wife I'd be home for dinner, hoping to... Uh, uh, sorry, I missed dinner. <laughs> um, yeah, cute kids, cute family, by the way. Thanks. They're, they're, they're look up to you, obviously. Um, okay, so how did you get to where you were? Why don't you start back? When did you start to get interested in the industry? Or were you studying this in school with an intention of being an artist outside of, you know, when you finished school, were you too busy running around chasing girls and kicking footies? Um, where, give us a bit of a summary as to where you started. I was always a, a very creative kid. Um, my parents certainly both have very creative traits. I'm from a very small country town, 
in fact, a farm, you know, middle of nowhere in WA. So there are also some certain traditional values that would come from my grandparents that sort of made you feel like a, you know, that uh, a career in being an artist wasn't something that was feasible. So that was, it was never really an option for me. So I, I grew up just drawing cartoons, sketching, making new logos and new jerseys and Guernseys for sports teams. In actual what fact, was, what type, types of things you were in, drawing or into at the time? I'd always loved cartoons and loved video games, so that sort of pop culture stuff. But, Pokemon. um, sorry, Pokemon, Pokemon, nin- you know, Ninja Turtles, you know, that sort of stuff, Mario. Super Mario, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I still love all that, that pop culture sort of stuff today, so, um, but it was also very, you know, sport heavy. I remember growing up and just, um, you know, my grand grandparents had a lot to do with the local footy team and we used to go along and be those little kids running around the change rooms. So <clears throat> when you're from a country town, even more so than just a club down the road in, in the city, you, you, your footy club's sort of everything. So to see How these blokes, that, you know, you look up to these guys almost as much as you do, you know, the Eagles on the TV. I can't connect to oh, the Wi-Fi God. net. That was Google, sorry. And um, so, yeah, you're looking up to these guys like you would almost AFL players and they're just the, the local plumber, the local, you know, Sparky, this and that. And I always remember thinking that the the footy jumper they ran out almost seemed like a, um, you know, like a soldier's almost, you know, how would you say it? Like, like their the uniform. The, the, the uniform, exactly, yeah. Yeah, like a knight's, you know, suit or, or whatever armor. it is. Their armour, yeah. And um, that's just always how I felt. So. Like I said, I was always just redesigning the AFL teams, logos and and jumpers. And in actual fact, when I was working on the line stuff a couple of years ago, I stumbled across that scrapbook where I redesigned a lines Guernsey. And it was actually I actually showed them. I was like, guys, like this is just so you have some idea. This is a you know dream of mine since I was you know knee high to a grasshopper. Um, yeah. So yeah, just always that was that was always me. And but just never thought it was a career until I think um, we got to year ten and did had to do mandatory work experience through school. One of my mates went to a graphic design place, and I was just like, "Shit, that's a, a career, is it? Like people get paid to do this stuff?" Mm. Um, yeah, and t- I, I mean, I still didn't take it seriously up until that then. Been about two thousand and three, two thousand and two, sometime around then. So oh, graphic five, design yeah. was around around you know it wasn't something that was completely unusual but not perhaps something that's that mainstream no I, I, at that age i um i mean i didn't know what i wanted to do I, at that stage i was trying to be like a, an audio technician or a, a sound technician that's what my work experience was so oh so you yeah. should be editing this podcast <laughs> Mate, I'll, maybe i should but it wouldn't be any good <laughs> So you didn't at that time then follow your friend and go, okay, I'm going to go and do this graphics course as well. You went off and did plumbing or Sparky no, or yeah, fencing yeah. I wanted to be a Sparky for yep. a little while. Yeah, I tried getting a Sparky apprenticeship, which um, yeah, I'm pretty hands on and like we'll go back and work on the farm, but um, you know, full time tradie just isn't it. Just isn't me. Like, mm. I'm, I'm happy to like labour and, and do hard work and this and that, but. You know, it'd be a chore getting out of bed every morning. Okay, uh, so you so you're out 
you're out doing sketches, you're drawing Bart Simpson, you're drawing Pokemon and Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. You're following the Weagles. Yeah. You, you're playing sport, I imagine. You've always been a bit of a fit fella. Yeah. Um, did sports design come together straight at once or was there a step into graphic design first before you shifted over into sports design? It was just generally graphic design. Um, how I actually, you know, got told to pull my head in, I was, um, I had a girlfriend and she went away on exchange for a year so that we sort of parted ways and she came back and saw that I was just in this small country town, you know, getting up to no good on the, on you know, drinking lots of alcohol and maybe doing a few other things. And she basically said, what are you doing, mate? Like move out of this shitty town, um, pull your head in and go be a graphic designer like like you should. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, you know, who the F does she think she is? Like I'll, I'll show her. She wants me to be a graphic designer. Well, I'll go be a graphic designer. And um, <clears throat> literally enrolled in TAFE for the following year. This was 2009, 2010. So I'm enrolled in TAFE and it's starting in a few months. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go there. And this has always been a motivating factor for me is being coming across as incompetent or the worst there or being sort of humiliated. That's, you know, that's an, obviously some sort of insecurity. But I remember thinking, I'm starting in a few months. So there's going to be all these really talented kids who are whizzes at Photoshop and this and that. I need to get my shit together. So that whole summer I downloaded a Photoshop crack, stumbled across Big Footy where they designed all the footy, you know, Guernsey bloody concepts and this and that. And I was just spending hours and hours every day recreating footy Guernseys, recreating logos, picking up, you know, skills on Photoshop, um, entering the Big Footy, you know, competitions and this and that. And, you know, slowly but surely um, becoming somewhat competent at Photoshop. So you were using the, um, you really just focused in on the, the, the sports jersey design stuff at the time that you were essentially preparing yourself for graphic studies. Correct. Yeah, I, always just, I just always loved sports uniforms, sports logos. The, and I think we've spoken about it before, but I remember when Heritage Around first came into the AFL, Mm-hmm. The internet wasn't huge back then, but I remember like getting a newspaper and on the back page of it, the West Australian, they had every team lined up in their heritage jumper. Wow. And I remember just going, whoa, like, holy shit. Like you hadn't seen much of this, these special jumpers before and this and that. And like oh, that just sparked this interest in me. Um, you know, it was not long after that I found footyjumpers.com and would just spend hours combing over that stuff, hours and hours and hours. A, a great point of reference whom we are definitely going to be reaching out to to have on this show at some point. Yeah, Rob Meredith, mate, will be knocking on your door. <laughs> so you go to uni or TAFE. TAFE, yeah. Are you then the best in your class, the worst in your class, or somewhere uh, in between? Yeah, I was pretty competent. Um, I was much better and maybe should I say that the the rest of the field was much worse than I'd thought thought they would be mm-hmm. um you know I, I did that for for almost a year basically i got halfway through it you know three-fifths of the way through it and i started clashing with i was still quite immature i started clashing with lecturers and i just said no nah, it's not not for me i don't not enjoying this i was too embarrassed for my family to find that out so <laughs> i stayed in perth and um just pretended i was studying and meanwhile i was just 
staying up playing video games all night. So um, to anyone listening, whether that's Dynasty Sport or Classic Sport, or I've told you all these qualifications I had, it's all a lie. So I've got no graphic design qualification. It's uh, all just a load of bullshit, unfortunately. And there's your Lushev exclusive. That's a Lushev exclusive, yep. Uh, okay. So at no point then whilst you've kind of dropped out of TAFE is this ex-girlfriend's words of uh, sort your life out resonating with you she she got me to perth um i was in i was in study i didn't finish that course i was making friends in perth i was out of this you know drug riddled little country town um playing for a new footy team and doing well so it was a positive Uh, not long after that i i veered away from the graphic design thing i was still doing my own sort of stuff um and I mean, as a result of those big footy competitions, is where I designed an EMU export footy jumper. I think it was a competition like does mix a, an AFL team with a, a, an alcoholic beverage. So we I should probably just state at this time: Big Footy is uh, an online forum where anyone can really sign up, and there's a whole lot of different uh, subcategories or chat rooms or whatever you want to call it. Just a um, message board or a forum for message for boards. AFL and- um, and one of those is footy jerseys and graphic design where people share and discuss and talk all things similar to what we do, I suppose, um, and create. And so you, you're saying that one of these threads was a, a competition thread. Hey, community, let's let's be creative. Let's come up with something. Um, and one of one of these was uh a alcoholic beverage and a sports team and an AFL team. Yep. So from memory, I think I did a Carlton slash Jim Beam design where the monogram of the Carlton, the Carlton monogram was within the Jim Beam little wax seal. There was a a Richmond uh, to his extra draw or to his platinum one where the sash was like orange, amber beer bubbles and this and that. Mm -hmm. There was another one as well. And then there was the, the West coast um, emu export. One, which is obviously pretty sort of famous now. An emu export is like a cult beer in WA along the lines of like a VB or a Forex, but probably probably even amplified a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was born from there. And I remember I showed a couple of people and especially coming from the country, that was just the beer you drank. Like jump on Google and you'll see the meme, the meme pages and you'll see YouTube videos of guys who've created whole churches out of this EMU export beer. Like it's a, it's a cult. Yep. Um, this is so your next big step. This was just on the side, me having no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I showed a couple of people there like, that's awesome. Um, stumbled across a custom apparel place, was trying to get 20, which is a minimum order so that I can have one of my mates and I put it on Facebook and just went gangbusters. Like it was ridiculous, like a couple of hundred orders. And I was obviously, I think I was getting them made for 45 bucks or something, selling them for 80 or 90. Poor, poor, poor TAFE student. Um, made me a lot of money. So I went to Emu Export or Lion Nathan and I said, um, you know, can I get permission to do this? I get an email response saying, yeah, that'll be fine. If you, you just get 20 for your mates, don't stress. Um, then I got an email following up saying, I'll oh, just wait until you hear back from our legal team. I was, I was 19 years old. I'd gotten the answer I needed. I, that was a yes to me. I never heard back from them. That 200 or that 20, sorry, that I initially asked permission for probably ended up being 
two thousand plus by the end of it. Um, that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what grew. Um, meanwhile, I'm you know I've moved away from graphic design. I'm studying sports coaching and fitness for a year, sports development. Sorry, went and did a fitness course for a year. I'm doing all this stuff, but this emu this emu export footy jumpers are just taking off. Um, had had like the, you, at one stage you type emu into Google and the first thing that would come up with emu export footy jumper, and it was all through my Facebook page, um, all into my bank account. Um, you know, it was sort of a little bit mythical in the fact that people didn't know where they could get them. People were ringing the fact of the um, beer. You know, by Nathan and going, oh, where can where can I buy your your Guernseys or your footy jumpers? And they had no idea about it. So what you're telling me is you didn't have really good SEO. No, 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 not at all. It was word of mouth. And I remember a few people didn't pay me for my my footy jumpers, so I put them on eBay for twenty bucks starting bid, and one of them went for five hundred bucks. Like this is at the height of the mining boom. Someone paid five hundred bucks for a footy jumper, a random size with rubber on the back. Ridiculous. Crazy. Okay. So then? So then, uh, so it keeps growing. It keeps growing. In the, you know, in my last year of studying fitness, that was going really well. I had, a, I was excelling in that. Super fit, playing good footy. Um, got, yeah, uh, got approached by a girl who'd, who'd heard about me um, through the, the EMU export stuff. She wanted to start a, a clothing label. European inspired clothing label, and she wanted someone to help with the design. I dropped out of TAFE with a few weeks to go, basically finished all my courses, but I think there was a couple of things I hadn't tied up because this opportunity was just too good to pass. Um, and we, the first thing we started was um, we called it Pucker Sports, which was just a, a small teamwear place. Um, went to China, met with suppliers. You flew to China? Through. Flew to China a few times, yep. Did factory tours. How old tours. were you at this point? Uh, probably uh, 20, 21. Wow. Yeah, yep. So but, uh, you were pretty confident with the opportunity. Very Essentially much, a startup, right? Sorry. Very much a startup, yeah, but also um, I was just so much guided by my business partner, Hannah. Um, yeah, but... It was, uh, it was certainly a learning curve. So we went to the Chinese factories and went, you know, started all that up and started our styles. And, and actually, it was building a good business, but um, the Aussie dollar went to shit. So we had to move out of China, tried a few other places, went to Pakistan. You get stuff made pretty cheap there and unreliable, lets you down. Um, so that business sort of, sort of faded away a little bit there were we had a few good years i was just learning so much um <clears throat> so what were you doing what what part of your business partners so what was hannah doing and what were you doing uh i was all, obviously all the design and, and stuff like that she was accounts and we were both you know working as sort of um sales reps i guess and you know just a small operation but you know making a, a bit of money um mm -hmm. So you'd go yeah, out and see potential customers or see customers, talk to them about product and design. You would then take that away and do the do the CADs, yep. do all the artwork and Correct. send it off to the factories to get made. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was um Yeah, that well, I mean, that's exactly what we we're doing. Yep. Okay. Um, so a little bit of experience there, a little bit of foreshadowing for what comes later. Yeah, mm -hmm. that that set me up. I think I, I can 
attribute a fair bit of what I do know and what not to do probably in particular um, and like an all-round view on how hard it is, how difficult diff- different parts of the, the role is, how hard sales reps have it, um, which some, a normal designer who walks into classic sports probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, an appreciation of, you know, margins and profits and this and that. Um, now that business sort of faded away. Um, now in amongst this, I got, you know, EMU export caught up to me essentially. I was sleeping. I was in Perth. I got a knock on the door at five o'clock and this big meathead served me with, you know, six inches of papers. Wow. Are you kit loosive? I said, yeah, mate. He goes, have these. All right, thank you. I'm yeah, not a morning you... wasn't Oh, 22, I guess. I wasn't a morning person back then. I just shit myself, completely okay. shit myself. Um, I rang my business partner. I said, get to Perth. We've got to go see a lawyer. Well, she said that. She said, we've got to go see a lawyer. I'm just bawling. I'm a kid. <laughs> I know no better. Got all this money in my bank account. Like I think my last order of these footy jumpers was 500 or something. In which, one order? Yeah, which, you know, an NRL team would be proud. Some of the smaller NRL teams would be pl- proud of those numbers. Wow. What was um, the age difference between you and Hannah? I should be five years older than me, a fair bit more mature than I was slash am. Um, yeah. And then okay. so I went, went and met her in a certain place in, in Perth with the idea that we're going to drive and see the lawyer together. Um, now, on the way there, I get a call from my dad who we had a bit of a falling out and I don't think we'd spoken in 12 months or 18 months or something. And he goes, mate, um, your stepmom's passed away. Jesus. And instantly, a click of her fingers, the first thing I thought of was, was my stepsisters. And it was like this wave that came over me that was like, what, what the fuck is money? You know, what, take it all. Take, take it all. You know, I was arrogant at the time. I thought I was a Walter White, Walter White of footy jumpers. Take it all. You know, my poor stepsisters and, and dad and, and us to a degree, you know, just lost someone suddenly, what's money when it comes to life and loved ones? And I stopped thinking about myself and woe is me and I've got been served with these legal papers and, you know, started thinking of the big, the bigger picture, which, you know, I think I hold that to this day, you know, to some degree. Um, yeah. You know, that all settled itself out. My lawyer sort of fucked me the hardest, to be honest. Um <laughs> You know, I had to provide them with all these details. The thing is that Lion Nathan's an international company. They thought that I was a, we were a big operation, right? They thought they were going to come in and shut down six or seven blokes who were taking the piss and probably had other businesses. They didn't know they were shutting down a 22-year-old working from Facebook in his fucking living room. Yep. They went pretty light on me, um, had to destroy all my stock. I think I had something like 40 grand savings or something that I instantly lost. Um, Aid in legal fees or directly to them? In paying, you know, I had to pay the factory a fair bit. There was legal fees. There were a couple of other things. Um, yep. Lost all the product, but yeah, yeah, I don't mind. No, there's nothing I don't mind saying. I just can't really remember. I, I know, All I know is I went from having 40 grand in my account to being in debt to having to sell my motorbike that I just bought to, yeah. Okay. To, to, so to did you do you actually was it was it in the did you sit in a room with them and talk it out or was it more just the lawyers going it back was, and forth? It was, yeah, it was by lawyers, yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that that scared me away from anything emu export <laughs> for for a long time. Um okay. 
yeah, now in this time, Pucker sort of fizzled, fizzled out, you know, just through getting let down by so many of these factories. And, and I'll say this to anyone who's starting up their own thing or doing their own thing is that, uh, and I said this to someone this week who sounds to be doing, you know, doing similar things, the number one important thing is your, your, your factory relationship and that not just the quality but the consistency of quality because if you can't rely on them to be 100%, 100% of the time, then, you, you know, you're going to bleed money, you're going to lose customers, you're going to feel like shit. Like I reckon it took years of my life letting people down and missing delivery dates and um, there were a couple of times I had to, you know, we promised footy jumpers for a new club or a, a, a side or whatever. I've jumped on a plane and, and flown to Fiji to bring back a, a bag of footy jumpers and hand deliver it at 2 o'clock in the morning, there and back, nonstop, no sleep, did the same to Fiji um, just to not let them down. And I actually developed like this sense of dread whenever my phone would ring, almost like you hear people talking about debt collectors. Yep. I had so many people that were um, you know, sick of me letting them down. I think it, it affected me for a fair while. So um, yeah, I met my, my current partner. She's from Melbourne. Going back and forth from Melbourne to Perth, I sort of lost interest in that pucker stuff. And um, yeah. You made the call with Hannah to... Stop it, or did Hannah continue on? And uh, she, she, I mean, she's, I think she's continued a few things. She made uh, horse riding jeans for Ipaka, which very successful and profitable, but the definitely the team wear sort of stuff, it just sort of fizzled out. Um, yep. Now, okay. you know, I was broke, I was depressed, I'd moved away from Perth, I was back in this shit heap of a country town. I just met this girl on holiday in Albany who I was head over heels you know, fascinated with, and I needed money to go and see her in Melbourne. So I said to myself, what am I going to do? What do I do? How do I get money? I said, all right, bugger it. I'm making my own clothing brand. And Uncle Bushchuk was born. I've still got the sketch of the logo. I just made it sitting in at mum's house on my computer, made a Facebook page, and overnight I think I had 12 grand in my bank account. Just, just that simple. Yeah. Wow. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew from there. Uh, and that, that paid me to, to, to go visit my partner in Melbourne, eventually settle down in Melbourne. Um, and, yeah. And so what's the model with Uncle Bushchuk? It's more of a, I know you probably don't want to put a tag on it, but I suppose it's more of a lifestyle type, It's a low-key uh, lifestyle. Yeah, Aussie, Ocker, sort of, what's the word? Uh, very much beer sort of. You know, ladsy, not ladsy, but blokey uh, related apparel, mm-hmm. WA, very much WA focused. Um, and that just injected a, a new lease on life on me, I think, at the time. Like I was just so excited and I was seeing people love this stuff and, I, you know, I was seeing famous people buy it. Like, you know, Josh Kennedy had one and Danny Green had one and it was a heap of people, Daniel Ricciardo. Um, wow. And I just loved it. I loved the engagement on social media. I loved no one knowing who Uncle Bush was and I was sort of like the stig that I was playing off. You know, I'd create a new new jumper every couple of months and see that go gangbusters. They they released a new retro beer, a new new, new label. And I did a, a Guernsey, um, a footy jumper based off that. And, yeah, I've never seen anything go as gangbusters as that did. Like it just hundreds and hundreds and i was just watching this shopify store just fucking 
do backflips on how many we were selling. I was selling. Did you have a a model in mind that you were, I say a business model, not a human model, in mind that you were going with when you created this? Were you looking at releasing new things every month or three months or something like that? Or was it legit, oh, I just feel like doing this, so I'm just going to do this yeah, and was, put it up and see if people buy it? Yeah, it was sort of monthly. And I mean, even then I was 25, I probably should have known better, but I, I didn't do it properly. I didn't have a, a shop for ages. It was still all via the Facebook page, like bank transfers. Like I could have done it so much better, but, you know, it was working. Once the shop did open up, that's when we started to really grow. Um, you know, I got my partner helping me send send them out and this and that. Um, it was very much someone orders it, I get it made um, in a week. It takes a week to get over and then I just send them all out. So, you know, the, the speed of which I could get them made at this factory were was and is what makes it so so easy to you know deliver these custom products and little risk from your end right little risk in that regard of along the way i've done things like um locally screen printed shirts and headwear and key rings and all that sort of stuff which is good sort of stocking fillers but uh in the end you just get stuck with stock and um you know the model of the the sub gears you know certainly the best and the easiest working yeah Um, now that okay. that's I mean that's still going, but it's a shadow of its former self. When I you know I lost Facebook access for eighteen months because I was hacked, so that sort of killed that for a little while. Not to mention having kids and obviously, you know, wanting to focus on on my main job, um, yep. which at the time was was at Classic Sports. Um, I remember sitting in WI, and I'd made the decision to finally move to Melbourne full time with with my partner. Like this is it, you know, I'm moving. I packed up all my stuff. I just paid someone to rejig my resume. So I went and flicked it off to a few a heap of people just to test it out and um, got a, a, an email back from Classic Sports who, you know, as a West Australian, isn't probably as uh, famous as, as it is in Sydney or maybe even up here. But uh, I remember I used to have a Kangaroos jersey that I loved as a, as a 17-year-old and it had the Classic Sports logo on it. So I'll have a chat to him and see how it goes. And before he knew it, I had a job offer. Um, we were in, in holiday in Geelong. I had a job offer. I said to my missus, I was like, well, they've just offered me the job. What do we do? We're not moving to freaking Sydney, are we? She goes, I'll just ask for more money and they'll, they'll, they'll back away. So I did that. I was like, I want five or 10,000 more or whatever it was. They're like, yep, sure. When, you, when can you get here? So a week after I'd unpacked all my stuff in Melbourne, packed it all up and... um jumped in a car and moved to Sydney. With your partner? She came a month a month or three months later or something, but, yeah, she wasn't far behind. Wow. Yeah. What is it that you think Classic were impressed enough with, first of all, to give you the job, but second of all, for you to ask for more money and then accept it? Do you think it was all of the history that you had with your own business or your, your two separate businesses and all the experience before that? Yeah, mate, there's no doubt that it was just an all-round nouse on everything like that, right? Like Classic at the time had the in-house design and stuff like that, so I think they saw value in a, a um, an all-rounder like that. There certainly wasn't anything from a portfolio or talent point of view that wowed them. I remember hearing initially that the tight owner was impressed at how little I'd ask for, naive little West Australian me not knowing Sydney uh, Sydney 
blades loading and property prices and that under, undercut myself a fair bit. So that's oh. what got me in the door. And then he wasn't sort of perhaps going back to when I asked for more money. Otherwise, it, it might not have happened, I guess. Sure. Yeah. And so how long were you at Classic Sports for? Just under three years. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it was such a change from when I first got there to, to the end. There was, you know, massive staff cuts. They got rid of the, the local manufacturing. They um, got, went through a couple of owners and, and yeah, yeah, there was reasons I, I left there for sure. Um, so what were some of the things that you were doing at Classic? Uh, so I started off just, I mean, they're very old school. When I first started there, there was no offshore design team, which I think is probably more common than uncommon in the industry these days. So a lot of the grunt work and the grassroots, pardon me, the grassroots team where stuff is all, I reckon, offshore designed. Back then it was all in-house, so we were literally mowing through teamwear briefs. Um, you know, I'd get the high-level stuff. I remember the first thing I got, which I thought was cool and which I sort of pinched myself, was the city-country um, gear, which it was the last ever city-country game. Um, and I remember having NRL video games when I was growing up and they had city-country on there, so I thought I was pretty cool then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not long after I started the senior designer left went to ic so i was elevated pretty early which made me feel you know pretty stoked um you know senior designer of the oldest sportswear um you know place in australia which i at the time thought i was pretty cool i guess um Absolutely. wasn't wasn't long after that that i was sort of given like the the, the, the second level t- teams like the Redcliffe dolphins which is why you know you hear me have a bit of an affinity with them um you know, teams like that, I would uh, occasionally, you know, lend a hand uh, on the pro team stuff, Penrith Panthers and, and you know, Canterbury Bulldogs. And then <clears throat> it wasn't long after that that more people above me got the arse and went their, went their own way. And, um, you know, I was leading those pro team stuff. So you have talked about um, the, the Spew jersey previously. Yep. Episode uh, maybe three or four, I think we we touched on that. Um, so you eventually decided that you were ready to leave Classic? Yep. Was that an ambition for a chain of, change of scenery or was it something um, internally you weren't happy with a lot of the changes that were happening at Classic? Um, Perhaps sick of the teams that you were working on? Made a very, um, a very loyal person right so i you know there's times i thought i'd be at classic forever um now you know there were a few changes like in terms of factory changes and some of, i remember seeing some quality some some of the quality of the brisbane line samples that were coming through and i i just remember thinking oh, i don't want to have anything to do with this i can't i don't want my name attached to this rubbish mm-hmm. um classic was bleeding money they had no money um you know i hope i don't get in trouble saying this but there were times there was no paper in the printer and, you know, a lot of our factories had us on hold and this and that. Um, so I was, there was sort of the writing on the wall. I had one, you know, had one kid and then another one on the way and I just sort of thought it's not long until I have the rug pulled out from underneath me and I'll, I'll have a, my second child and, and no job to go to. So that that was, you know, pretty much the main thing. Otherwise, I would have stayed at Classic Forever. Like there was a long... 
you know, in saying that, I wanted to get out of Sydney. Sydney was so expensive. We're paying 650 bucks a week for a, essentially a studio apartment. One of my kids to grow up in a backyard. So I was going to go somewhere else. It was either Brisbane or Sydney. Um, had a job offer at first ever in Melbourne doing the NBL stuff, yep. which was exciting and that would have been fun. And then at the 11th hour, Dynasty popped up. And um, Were you doing a lot of scoping or were things just appearing to you? Things were popping up, yeah. Um, there were a few jobs few jobs that came up. I remember applying for a job to be the in-house designer at the, uh, the Gold Coast Titans, um, yeah. which I think I got down to the final couple but didn't get the job. And then, yeah, uh, I, was, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have two jobs on offer, one to go back to Melbourne where my partner's from and then one to uh, to head north to Brisbane. Um, it sounds weird but I always had an affinity with, with Brisbane, the city, always loved going there, loved the Brisbane Broncos. Loved the loved exploring Sydney as a new city, so that sort of appealed to me with Brisbane. Yep. Um, and so that that's what we did. It really is a great we, place. Let's it, it is. Let's mate. not put it aside. It's probably one of the best places in the world, to be honest. Shout out to your parents for for boarding you in Brisbane. <laughs> exactly. Massive shout out. Now, <laughs> there was another thing too, and this is weird, but so. I was born in Perth. My partner was born in Melbourne. Firstborn was born in Sydney, and we just thought it'd be cool to have a member of the family each born from a different state. That's crazy. And so one week before my son was born, we moved our whole entire existence in a truck from Sydney to Brisbane. None of our family or friends knew that we were pregnant because we kept it this secret. Only the ones that saw us in Sydney and Sydney mates. And uh, Why would jump- you do that? <laughs> Long story. We won't go into that, but okay. it, was, it was just a, a token little kit, kit gag that I, some of the stupid things I do. But um, yeah, literally moved up, unpacked the house, started a new job and, and had a kid within a week. So hectic time, but yeah. And kudos to your partner for Massive. moving. And she was hands-on too. She wasn't sitting back. She was fucking packing shit with this. Obviously, a big baby in her belly, and and your other um, little one running around. She was running around, running amok like she has done the last four and a half years. Okay, so you're at Dynasty. What's the role that you? What's the role that you got? Mate, it was just simply designer. Dynasty, designer. yeah, designer. Mate, I could have been designing anything from bloody car parks to street signs. I don't know. Just said designer. And this is when? This was uh, t- late 2019, not long before the world got, gets turned upside down and COVID hit. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, you're based in Brisbane. There's no head office in not Brisbane. In Australia. For no, we're no. all remote. Um, that's changing very soon from what I potentially, maybe, I don't know. But um, yeah, that's the case. We're all remote. So. Very soon learnt to lock my office door so that my rat bag kids aren't jumping in and typing on the computer and this and that. And how did you cope from working in a team environment at Classic, where I imagine you were going into an office every day, to Correct. setting yourself up at home, um, jumping on phone calls, Zooms, you know, Zooms got very popular during COVID. They um, did. I remember there was a, a period in time I was going to invest in them before before all this hit and uh stupid me didn't so okay um yeah I, I, 
I said all the right things in the interview, obviously. I said I'd beat it to it like a duck to water. Uh, internally, I was scared. I didn't know whether I had the discipline or willpower. But um, what I soon learned is that, you know, my loyalty and will to do the right thing for my boss outweighs anything um, Anything there. Like, I, you know, want to want to make sure that I'm doing the hours and doing over the hours just because of the faith that gets put in you when you're working from home. So, mate, I've loved it and, you know, got this office set up here, the door locks, and I put my headphones in and, you know, and get shitloads more work done than you are in a, in a uh, in an office when you got the sales reps pestering you 13 times a day. So, love it. So you jump in, you're working from home. At this point in time, your the dynasty portfolio is three teams, four teams. Yeah, t- uh, Titans and Reds, and I think they were about to drop their Sharks and Manly. Okay, uh, Rangers. Yep. Yep. Um, and you automatically accumulate those. You're essentially you're you classed as designer on your business cards on your mm. email signature, but you're essentially looking after the pro teams. Yeah, I don't think it was um, necessarily meant to land that way, but very soon in the piece, that's how it did land. Yep. Um, okay. yeah, I remember that, that being a daunting experience and I think the first six months there was some of the hardest that I've had working, not knowing if I was good enough or if I was a fraud or this and that. And, you know, my, the girl that was above me when I started, um, went on maternity leave and, and didn't return. So, um, yeah, I f- felt like I needed to prove myself and, a lot of leaning on people and mentors that I knew, but made it through yep. that first period. And yeah. Okay. So that's a bit of uh, quite of an extended, but good thorough history of where we got to where we are now. So what does a day or a week or a month as the head desi- head designer of dynasty look like? All I know it's busy. There's samples coming in. There's so many teams and things to juggle working on, you know, a lot of the teamwear stuff. We have stock ranges within our teamwear stuff, which trickle down from what we do in the pro team. So, uh, you know, I love that it's dynamic. I love that it's hands-on. I love we're dealing directly with the clubs. Um, you know, the account manager I, I work with is, you know, probably one of the best people that I've been fortunate enough to, to work with in, in the industry. So cre- incredibly fortunate to, um, to to partner up with him. So I hope he's not listening to this. otherwise he's Fucking big head will get bigger than it already is. But, um, yeah, mate, we, yeah, I love it. I love what I do. I couldn't love it anymore. The the, the owners, the managers that, that, that are above me, um, it's an amazing, amazing business. So, I, I, I for me anyway, I, I feel like I have a dream job. The dream job for me at least without getting too mushy or anything like that. And it sounds wanky to say that, but. Uh, yeah, very fortunate and blessed and um, very lucky because there's so many, I think there's so many times where I nearly went a different direction or had a job interview to go somewhere else or cracked the shits and nearly end up working for Netball New South Wales. So, um, yeah, to be working where I am and doing what I am now, it's, um, yeah, it's fucking awesome to be honest. Yep. So what uh, when we talk about, head designer or lead designer at Dynasty Sport, how much of your time is actually spent designing or what what some people would think being designing, which is working on Illustrator to make the pretty pictures, 
versus all of the other nuanced stuff that comes with it. So as you said before, samples coming in, checking colors, uh, I'll let you speak more about all that stuff, but you know, what are, what are all of the spaces there? Yeah, it's hard to exactly, uh, I guess, yeah, it's hard to say what you consider designing because there's a lot of time spent on Illustrator when you, you're not really being creative at all. You're just going through and creating toolkits or, you know, fleshing out men's and ladies' versions of all these different styles and this and that. But uh, there is a fair, you know, there's a fair bit of design. I don't know if it'd be a third of my time, but there's the whole sampling situation there's meeting with all these clubs um to make sure you're on the right path um yeah i guess it's probably the balance which keeps things interesting yeah um you know there's and i'm so I, i'm certainly someone who's happy to lean on the rest of the people in my team so there's a you know a few jerseys this year which um weren't done by me but was smashed out of the park um a couple of the cowboys special jersey designs this year i was too busy so i gave to someone who works for me and um, they nailed it. So I, I love that, you know, stuff just as much as, uh, you know, being in the trenches and designing something myself, I guess. What would you say is the proudest thing that you've worked on? Doesn't need to be at Dynasty over, you know, all of the history that we've just talked about. When you look back, what's, what's something to you? That probably means more than anything else. Oh God, question on the spot. Um, I think to, first meeting with the Lions at Classic and touring their their headquarters and seeing all this stuff and sitting in their boardroom and speaking with their team was a, a big moment. Um, I remember thinking, like, shit, like, how did I get here? And I thought back to that scrapbook and those sketches and. I remember designing a heap of Essendon jumpers and sending it to the club and them sending me all this free shit back. Like that that kid, um, you know, that kid is now living his dream and sitting in the Brisbane Lions who I always loved as a club. Um, that was a big one. You know, a couple of small things like the first time you see one of your jerseys in a, in a video game and um, seeing your first jersey live at a game and stuff like that. Um, in terms of, of a proudest, there is an answer because I, and, you know, I mentioned being a dad and I'm a big softy now. Like I think back to me five or six years ago being a meathead on a footy field and punching on with blokes to the the soft bloke I am now. Um, the other night I, I thought about something that's about to come out in the next couple of weeks and I, I teared up a little bit. Okay. Um I can't say too much about that, but the the court the the meaning behind that and what that's is will signify means more to me and you know some of my friends and and what I value than you know a lot of these other designs which might look cool or might carry significance. So uh, I think that's the answer. Um, that'll make sense, you know, in a couple of weeks. I look forward to it. There's been some cool times though, like. Yeah, like I remember the first time seeing like the Penrith Panthers run out in my warm-up tee. Like, you know, once again, you think back to that that kid who, who you know, would froth that sort of stuff. Um, pretty pretty awesome. Yeah. What is the most uh, disappointed or project that you feel just got too far away from you that 
wasn't really yours anymore. It wasn't the vision that you imagined it to be. As you know, and we've spoken about this, and you know just as well as me, there's so many, right, that, you know, you come in with good intentions and good ideas and, you know, there's a reason for everything. There's a reason that this might marry up with this and the reason that you've done this and then uh, certain parties feel the need to, you know, sometimes unnecessarily put their spin on it and you almost walk away and go, you know, that's, you know, I'm not proud of that anymore. You know, I don't love that anymore. Like, and you feel gutted, right? You feel disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've spoken before, but and it doesn't mean much. Like there's there's certainly items that I feel got got off the rails, and you know weren't weren't something I loved. But I remember that Brisbane Lions uh, away Guernsey was a disappointing one because I remember wanting to own a, a Guernsey for for the Lions, one that I designed and came up with and had a reason for. And in the end, I um. You know, it was manipulated to such a point and and almost bloody, almost bleached of any meaning or purpose that, you know, I fucking hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure there's other things. Like there's been disappointments where something I do doesn't get up and you really loved it or this and that. But, um, yeah, Yeah. that's what I I can think of off the the top of my head. Yep. What's the most difficult thing? you think that you've had to do? I know we haven't necessarily talked about it today, but um, you, you introduced the silicon badges this year maybe to not the the fanfare that you would have liked. Um, you know, we've seen a little bit of changes over the years with some of the Titans gear coming back to, you know, earlier designs of what they had. Is there anything there that you've found was a really hard slug to get, executed or um finalize yeah i think i mean i mentioned a a couple of episodes ago that internal heart rate um pocket was a big one that you know that going from go to woe one of des's crazy ideas um to being something that, that you know was functional was a slog um not so much emotionally taxing but and once again, Mason, you know this as much as I do, but some of the battles that you have with these clubs and trying to juggle their interests and our interests, um, some of them can wear you down. That's why I'm for- fortunate that I, I do have, you know, this guy that I, I work with so much because he's brilliant at his job. But, you know, there are times where you're butting heads with clubs and, um, yeah, there's one club in particular recently which for the first time ever working at Dynasty, I got to Sunday night. And we got emails late in the week, and I, um, I dreaded going to work on the Monday because I just didn't see how we were going to come to some sort of resolution on where the range was to end at. So, obviously, can't name names, but um, where would you like to see advancements in the industry? Is there things that professional NRL teams, AFL teams, netball teams? professional sports in general, training on field, on court, technologically or even just from a heritage point of view that you would like to see? Would you like to see the AFL with more sponsors or everyone have a logo on their chest? Or... Mate, just to be clear, the least amount of sponsors we get, the better. The day the AFL has a centre-front sponsor, um the AFL dies, to be honest. I'll go jump off Story Bridge. 
Um, yeah, it's a. I mean, it's an interesting question. It's a tough question. I, you know, I love the way you know the industry and this little bias given the shirt that I'm wearing and you know who I work for. But I love this eco focus, which the world and the industry is heading towards. Um, I'd love to see clubs uh, be a little less gun shy about some things. There's certain clubs where you know they don't want to look back on their history and you get marketing gurus who talk about moving forward and looking forward and stuff like that, um, which shits me to no end. I, I think the industry is in a pretty good place. Um, a few of the cowboys have been been uh, you know drained from the swamp, so to speak. So I think we're in a pretty good place, to be honest. Okay. If you had any advice for anyone wanting to get into the sports apparel industry or any advice from someone in the industry who's maybe not working in the pro team sector, what would you have to say to them? Mate, my advice is that if you love it and if it's a passion um, and you live it and, and, and breathe it, you know, like I, I did, hopefully still do, um, then it'll all come. Like there are people who love this stuff as much as we do. Like I remember, you know, most of my career, and it's fucking wanky to call it a career, but most of my working career, you know, I'd finish work and then go home, sit on the couch and start looking up jerseys that were coming out. Once you're that way inclined and your mind works that way, you've got so much creativity flowing in and you want to be creating awesome things. You want to be doing what these things, you know, these brands that you love are doing. Everything else will follow. Um, I have no doubt about that. It's people who, um, who are designers and might not necessarily love it like, you know, perhaps we do sort of feel feel like it's a good place to be but aren't fully invested. Um, I think they're the ones that, you know, will never never get to some of the levels that the other people will, I guess. Um, I mean, to make it a broader answer, my biggest thing that I learned was um, chase happiness more than anything. It, you know, if it takes you 10 years to 10 years and 10 taste subjects to find out what you love in life and you're bumming around and not doing much, and it takes you that long to find what, you know, you get out of bed for and it's not a, not a drag and not a dread, then um, so be it. It's a long, you know, it's a long life. It's a long life to be miserable. Think of what percent of the, the population get to Sunday night and are miserable and don't want to go to work the next day. And if you're in the, the, the minority that isn't like that, fucking doesn't matter how much money you make, um, you're winning as far as I'm concerned. And I'll, I'll preach that till I'm blue in the face, to be honest. Good you know, advice. if there's some, and I do a bit of youth mentoring, so I, I preach all this shit as well. But if someone works at McDonald's and is genuinely happy and content with what they do, flipping burgers all day and looks forward to going to, to work and they might not make the most money, but they, they love it, fucking so be it. Like who are we to, who is anyone to look down on that person when, you know, you, you might be making 130K a year, hate your job, stressed out, uh, bringing that home with you. You know, it's all about happiness and content. Uh, not to make it too mushy, but yeah, happiness is the key, mate. We're just about to wind up. So we've spoken about 
uh, advice and, and you mentioned there around you finish work for the day, go home, you jump on your phone, you start scouring the Instagram pages and big footy and wherever else. Uh, what are some of the places that you like to go to or um, what do you like to do for inspiration? It's only been the last couple of years that um, the social medias have been that funnel of information that way and that's so handy but before that you were going message boards like your big footies and your league unlimited um some of the american ones as well i'd spend hours just scrolling through that stuff um sportslogos.net sportslogos.net's a a big one (laughs) nick's favorite footy headlines is has copped a fair hiding um yeah those are probably the big ones some of the more some of the, the the graphic design ones like you know spend hours on behance just seeing techniques and seeing what's up um and the bit you know i think the real big thing that i've seen in the last five years is how awesome a lot of the australian sports social media pages are mm. um you know it's such a high level these days and if you're not one of the clubs who's leading the way then you're really lagging behind so you can actually see some awesome things. Like my phone is just littered with screenshots of some of that stuff that um, in my current role is uh, probably doesn't get used that much. At Classic, we used to have this special jersey license where, you know, JT play, you know, has a retirement team and we have to design it. So I'd be gra- dragging all these references from social media pages and, you know, doing cool techniques like that. So, um yeah, there's there's so many, mate, as you know. Um, yeah. If you have the passion, then you'll enjoy looking at those stuff and that'll that'll trickle down to, you, to your work. Okay. Uh, Kit, thank you so much. Thank you, Mason. You're a host on this podcast. But the host with the most. Yeah, the most but ego. A, yeah, before you, <laughs> true, but before you thank me too much, there's a real MVP of tonight. And you know who that Craig? is? That's Craig. Craig. He looks to still be here and it's been an hour and a half, I think, maybe longer. A lot longer than we intended. We, we can't blame it on Nick for the length that these podcasts are going for. It must be me. I must need to keep it, keep it shorter and tighter. Um, mate, thanks, thanks so much for opening up a little bit, talking a little bit about your personal life and, you know, the history and obviously some intense times, as you said early on, when, um, when you were working with... Uh, some legal issues and some getting sued family and, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. Um, other than this podcast, which is the place to be listening, where else can people uh, see or find work that you're working on, or where can people find you? Uh, well, I don't have the time to manage an awesome little Instagram page like our friend Nick does, but um, yeah, if there's anything awesome that's coming out of Dynasty. Um, not too far away. <laughs> um, there's any shit, anything shit that's coming out of Dynasty, then uh, go forth and multiply. But that's probably <laughs> the best way to see stuff that I work on, mate. Um, my, my social media pages are full of my kids, and uh, go give Uncle Bush took a like, buy some stuff off him, go for it. That's uh, that's another one. Excellent. You got the plug that I was trying to put in there for you. Got the plug, <laughs> mate. Thank you. Uh, okay. 
Thank you, Kit. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you're hearing today, please remember to subscribe. Feel free to share the podcast with any of your friends, uh, any of those sports nerds, sports jersey nerds, any jersey boys or girls out there who might be interested in listening. Uh, Again, any creatives who are looking and getting into the sports scene as well. Um, If anyone's still listening and mentions Bonoffi Tim Tam, I will genuinely send them an Uncle Bush to gift pack and that's not a lie there you go uh continuing to grow the show will enable us to produce more content across more platforms and i have some plans so if you want greater access to some of our industry's best professionals a guest on our show please like please subscribe um you can always leave us a review and some stars on your preferred podcast app how many stars kit 37 37 stars. Uh, a big shout out to uh, our guest today and my co-host, Kit. Thank you, Mark. And also to our uh, resident laser tag professional, Nick, Nearly who I hope is Nick. doing well in his tournament in Bendigo, I think it was. Oh, nice. It'd be cold down there too. Holy hell. Very cold. Let me Google that temperature in Bendigo. Indigo temperature. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's cold. It's uh, seven degrees. So I hope his uniform supplier has kitted him up with some decent uh, winter wear. Next week, we will return to our regular programming, uh, but keep an ear out for some more exciting guests coming very soon.